During the past year, we have seen much economic turmoil, banks failing, businesses laying off employees, homes being foreclosed, and retirement accounts shrinking. Thousands have lost their jobs, and many worry about how they will pay for necessities, such as food, clothing, and housing. In January of this year, unemployment in the United States hit a 16-year high at 7.6 percent, and it continues to rise. I'm sure many of you students have asked yourselves, after I graduate, will I be able to find employment? In addition to economic troubles, across the globe, we're all aware of terrorist threats that continue, and mistrust, misunderstanding, and hatred abound. It is a discouraging and disheartening time. As I thought about the challenges that we face today, my mind went back to the struggles of my great-great-grandmother and my parents, as well as to two of my favorite scriptures. My great-great-grandmother, Eliza Cussworth, was born in England in 1846, excuse me, in 1824, and she married Joseph Burton in 1846. They lived happily for a few years and had two children, Joseph and Martha. In 1849, two LDS missionaries came to the area, and both Eliza and Joseph listened to them, gained testimonies of the gospel, and were baptized. The counsel of the prophet at that time was for the saints to migrate to Utah. Joseph and Eliza started saving so that they could make the journey. Joseph was employed as a carrier who delivered goods from the depot to various stores. While lifting at work, he broke a blood vessel, which resulted in his death a short time later. His dying request to Eliza was for her to migrate to Utah so she could do their temple work and raise their children among the saints in Zion. Eliza promised him that she would do this. Understandably, both Eliza's and Joseph's families discouraged her from making what they said was a foolish journey. Eliza's mother said if she would stay with them, they would take care of her and her children, and she would want for nothing. Joseph's family offered to give her any amount of money if she would stay in England. It was a difficult decision for, Elijah, for Eliza. However, she had made a promise to her dying husband, and she knew the gospel was true, so she chose to go. In the spring of 1856, at age 32, Eliza packed her trunks and embarked on the 6,000-mile journey with her two children, Joseph, who was seven, and Martha, four. First, they went by train to Liverpool, England, and she boarded the ship Horizon on May 25, 1856. During the voyage, Eliza suffered severe seasickness. It got so bad that for about 10 days, she was unable even to care for her children. The Horizon landed in Boston on the 30th of June, 1856, and then Eliza traveled by boat and train to Iowa City, Iowa, where the railway ended. She had planned to join a wagon train in Iowa City. However, upon arrival, she discovered that she was too late. 
The last of the wagon trains for that year had already gone, so she had no choice but to wait for the handcarts to be made. When they were ready, the travelers were told that they would have to leave most of their belongings behind, as they could bring only necessities on the handcarts. Eliza's trunks contained many of her valuable possessions—silverware, linen, bedsheets, and clothing. Most of it had to be left behind. Eliza joined the Martin Handcart Company, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. They left Iowa City on July 30, 1856, for the 1,300-mile trek to Salt Lake City. She pulled the handcart. Little seven-year-old Joseph walked, and he helped her pull the handcart part of the time, while four-year-old Martha rode in the handcart. During the first part of the journey, everyone got along quite well. At night, many would gather around the campfires after supper and sing songs such as, Come, Come, Ye Saints. However, travel was slower than expected because they had to stop frequently to repair the hurriedly made handcarts. The days wore on, and they tried to encourage one another. Often the only fuel available was buffalo chips with which they made fires to do their cooking and dry their clothing. After a while, their food began to run low. Sometimes the men were able to kill buffalo, but their salt gave out, and often the meat made them sick. Toward the latter part of their journey, the food was almost gone, and rations were reduced to one-fourth pound of flour per person per day. The season was getting late, and because they'd taken so little with them in the handcarts, they had little clothing. Their clothing was thin, and they had little bedding. In their weakened condition, many became discouraged and wondered if they would ever reach the Salt Lake Valley. When the company reached Devil's Gate, they ran entirely out of food. At some ranchers' cabins, they tried to buy food, but the ranchers could sell them only some pelts of deer and mountain sheep that were dry and old. These were soaked, the hair was scraped off, and they were cooked into a soup that was thickened with their last remaining flour. Eating this helped relieve their hunger for a time. Eliza waded across the Sweetwater River three times in one evening. First, she took little Joseph across on her back. When she reached the other side, Joseph was so frightened that he wouldn't stay by himself, and he tried to follow her back. So Eliza had to tie him to a nearby tree while she went back to get Martha. Then she had to go back a third time to get her handcart. In freezing weather, she spent part of the night drying her clothes over the fire. An early winter storm struck as the group was plodding its way along the Sweetwater River, about 50 miles north of what is now Rollins, Wyoming. The company waded through an icy stream and sought shelter in a nearby cove. Using frying pans and tin plates, for they had no shovels, they cleared the snow away as best they could and pitched their tents beside a tiny spring. As the desperate saints huddled together in the cove, everyone hoped and prayed that they could survive until help arrived. Brigham Young heard that the handcart company was marooned in the snow and sent rescuers with teams and food to assist them. 
more than one-fourth of the 500 in the Martin Handcart Company perished, and many more would have died had not Brigham Young sent rescuers. Eliza and her two children suffered greatly, but somehow they made it. Arriving with the company in the Salt Lake Valley on November 30, 1856. When Eliza reached the Salt Lake Valley, she inquired about William Cusworth, a cousin who had gone earlier in the season in a wagon train and with whom she intended to make her home for a while. She learned that he had become discouraged and had taken his family back to Iowa. She and her children were taken to the home of Isaac Leaney, where they received care for a few weeks. Little Joseph lost two of his toes because his feet had been frozen. Eliza settled in Pleasant Grove, where she later met and married Nathan Staker, a widower with several children. Eliza and Nathan moved to Mount Pleasant, where they helped pioneer San Pete County. In addition to Joseph and Martha, Eliza had four children with Nathan Staker, three daughters and one son. She raised her children and was a faithful Latter-day Saint all of her life, dying at the age of 90. By any objective standard, it was foolish for her, a single mother with two young children, to attempt the 6,000-mile journey by boat, train, and handcart. Why did she do it? Because she wanted to keep a promise she had made to her husband. Although it may have been foolish, as I look back on her decision 153 years later, I believe she did the right thing. She was able to make it safely, have their temple work done, and raise their children in Zion. Because she was true to the promises she made to her husband and to God, I and her other descendants have been blessed beyond measure. I am confident that she and her husband Joseph are now together. I bless her name, and I am proud to call her my great-great-grandmother. One day when I meet her, I will embrace her and thank her for the courage and humility to keep a promise to her husband and to follow the counsel of a prophet. I also think of my mother and father and how they faced the troubles of their day. They both entered BYU in the 1930s during the Great Depression. They met at BYU, married in 1936, and had their first child early in 1938 while they were still in school. They struggled to pay tuition and earn enough for food and rent. My father majored in agronomy, and as he approached graduation in 1938, the unemployment rate was 15 percent, about twice what it is today. He wondered if he would be able to find a job and, and be able to support his wife and child. One of his professors encouraged him to take the civil serv service exam, and he did well enough that he was offered a job with the Soil Conservation Service within the Department of Agriculture. He was assigned to do soil surveys in New England, North Dakota, a small town in, south, in the southwestern part of the state. It was not where they would have chosen to go, but it was a job, and they went. When they arrived, they discovered that there were no other members of the church in the town. Dad and mother held Sunday school in our home, and occasionally the full-time missionaries, who served in Dickinson, 30 miles north, would visit us. 
Money was tight, and some vital commodities were rationed during World War II, including gasoline, meat, sugar, and butter. These items were in short supply, and rationing was the only way to make sure all got their fair share. Even if you had money to buy more, you were only allowed to buy small amounts of these items. When I was six, we moved to Dickinson, North Dakota, and after 14 years of marriage, my parents were able to buy a home. The economic situation improved somewhat after World War II. We had basic necessities, but with six children, it was a challenge for my parents to meet their expenses. Mother taught us primary at home, and we held church in our living room with our family, the two full-time missionaries, and Frank Whitney, the only other church member in the town at the time. Gradually, the church grew. Several families moved in, and a few were baptized. And we were able to rent a hall in the community center to hold church services. My dad worked with the local Lions Club and Methodist Church to start a scout program. When I was 13, my dad was transferred to Bismarck, North Dakota, a beautiful little town on the Missouri River. My parents bought a three-bedroom rambler with an unfinished basement and no garage, and our family had one car, which we all shared. Mother took a job as a medical stenographer. I was happy that there was a small branch in Bismarck with several other teenagers in it. Our branch met in the basement of a local hotel, and as we set up for church on Sunday morning, we usually had to clear a few beer cans that had been left from the night before. As the branch grew, we were able to rent a small church from the Seventh-day Adventists. At that time, church policy was that local units had to earn a certain percentage of the cost before they could build a chapel. I remember many branch bake sales being held to earn money so we could one day have our own chapel. Members were encouraged to contribute what they could to the building fund, but the branch was small and most members could not afford to give much. Accumulation of funds was slow, and I wondered if we would ever be able to build our own chapel. Finally, when I reached age 18, after years of dreaming, planning, and working, we had earned enough to pay our share of the cost to build a small chapel. After I left North Dakota, the Church continued to grow slowly. They organized the Bismarck Stake in the 1980s, and then in 1988—1998, a small temple was constructed. For those of us who grew up there and lived through the early struggles, the construction of a temple in Bismarck was a miracle that we never dreamed could happen. Prior to that time, the closest temple was in Idaho Falls, 750 miles away. My parents married and graduated during a challenging time, the Great Depression. They were sent to a cold and unknown place far from their families and their beloved Utah. Mother and dad experienced North Dakota blizzards, rationing during the war, and the birth of a handicapped son. They went forward with faith and did the best they could during difficult times. As I look back on my life, I cherish the experiences I had in North Dakota. It was not where my parents would have chosen to raise us, but I thank God for sending them there. We associated with many good people of different faiths 
who enriched our lives, and we learn much from facing the economic and spiritual challenges. I thank my parents for their faith and courage through much adversity. They taught us well and were true to their ideals. Another inspiring example of great faith under severe economic adversity is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 17. There was a severe drought, and the Lord told Elijah to go dwell in Zarephath, where a widow would sustain him. In verses 8 through 16, it states, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but an handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruse. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruse of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Finally, Nephi was a wonderful example of faith during a time of great adversity. As recorded in 1 Nephi 16, after he broke his bow, his family was much fatigued, did suffer much for want of food, and did begin to murmur exceedingly because of their sufferings. While everyone else complained, Nephi tried to find a solution to the problem. He used his mind and the resources available to make a sling and a new bow, and with them he was able to obtain food. Nephi was as tired and hungry as everyone else, but rather than complain, he used his mind and energy to seek for a solution to the problem. I gained courage and hope from the examples of my great-great-grandmother, my parents, the widow who fed Elijah, and Nephi. I have learned much from them, and I offer several suggestions that may be helpful to all of us as we face the problems and uncertainties of today. First, as we face difficulties, we can use our minds and resources and the resources God has given us to seek solutions to our problems. If we spend our energies trying to solve problems rather than complaining about them or blaming others, we will have fewer problems. Second, every difficulty brings opportunities. Too often we stress over the closed doors rather than taking advantage of the open doors. 
in difficult economic times, I am confident that there are opportunities if we are diligent in looking for them. Third, even though we may have very little, we can share what we have with those around us. The widow of Zarephath scarcely had sufficient for herself and her son. In fact, she didn't have enough for herself and her son. But still, she shared with Elijah and had faith that the Lord would provide. As we exercise faith by sharing with others and paying our tithings and offerings, I'm sure we will be blessed. Finally, no matter how challenging our situation, if we trust in God, obey His laws, and offer our best effort, He has promised to sustain us. His help will not always be in the way we prefer and may not come as quickly as we desire. Even with His help, the road may not be easy, but He will help us. Great blessings come when the faithful endure adversity. I testify that our Father in Heaven and His Son live and love all of us. Our Savior wants us to succeed and will support us through our trials if we have the faith to follow Him and the counsel He has given through His prophets. I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.